1: And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a
2: great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way?
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 15 of the Man of Screen podcast. My name is Mike Zumo, and this is it. We've made it through the first four episodes, which covered the Fleischer animated theatrical cartoons. We made it through the ten-episode run of covering the Kirk Allen movie serials of 1948 and 1950. And now we're getting on to one of the major milestones of this show when I planned it out. Because this is the episode in which we start discussing The Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves, which ran on TV from 1952 until 1958. And let me tell you a little bit about how this is going to go. For this first episode, I'm going to be joined by... Bob Fisher, eventually. And we're going to discuss the show in broad strokes. We'll introduce you to the actors who played the famous roles. Obviously, George Reeves was Clark Kent in Superman. In the first season, Phyllis Coates played the role of Lois Lane. I thought Coates put on a great performance in the first season of Adventures of Superman. But the role changed in season two somewhat when Noel Neal took over the role when Coates was unavailable to go forward. And that's something Bob and I we'll talk about during this episode. You'll also get to meet Jack Larson, who has really been the face of Jimmy Olsen for generations now, as Jimmy may not be here today if not for Jack's betrayal, And obviously we're going to meet John Hamilton, who played Perry White, and we're going to get the first on-screen representation of Inspector Bill Henderson, who was portrayed by Robert Shane. Now, a little bit about the format of how my episodes are going to go going forward. Like I said, this episode is going to be a discussion between Bob Fisher and myself. And then, at that point, we're going to go two at a time through the series. There were 104 episodes, aired total, of The Adventures of Superman. So it's going to come out to about a year's worth of episodes with no breaks. So, it's going to be about a year-long project. I'm not just going to cover the series, I'm going to take a look at some of the, a couple of the specials that were done. There was the Stamp Day for Superman, which was, uh, was a short for the U.S. Department of Treasury to promote the purchase of U.S. saving bonds. That is on the DVD as a special feature on the Season 2 DVD, and I am going to talk about that as an add-on at the end of Season 2. And then there was also George Reeves' famous guest appearance on I Love Lucy, in which, although he's never mentioned by his own name as such, he was always described as Superman in the episode. But I'm going to take a look at that when it comes up in the chronology. I'm going to go in chronological order by release date. So, without looking, I believe the I Love Lucy episode comes between seasons five and six, so I am going to discuss that episode there at that point. Now, another slight change, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with this series, otherwise why else would you be listening, but there is the issue of Superman and the Mole Men, which was recut into two episodes called The Unknown People, and according to the DVD, are the last two episodes of season one. And usually when... I watched The Adventures of Superman, as I'm doing now for this podcast. I would generally watch Superman and the Mole Men in the Unknown People slide at the end of the season where the series is put it. But for the sake of this podcast, since I'm going chronologically, I'm going to cover that show next week with Bob Fisher before heading into the series proper. And then I'll go into Season 1, Superman on Earth, and we'll go from there two at a time for the next 52 weeks. So, with that being said, I am going to take a quick break, play a promo, and then I'm going to come back with Bob Fisher, and we're going to begin discussing the adventures of Superman. Hang around.
1: My name is Rebecca Johnson. And I'm Carly Lane. And we are two of the hosts of Supergirl Radio podcast dedicated to the CW's Supergirl series and the character of Kara Zor-El.
2: We wanted to let you know about the DCTV podcast fundraiser benefiting the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation.
1: All of the shows in the DCTV podcast network will be broadcasting live on June 11th 2016 starting at 2pm Eastern.
2: We'll have discussions about Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Gotham, and of course Supergirl. While also raising money
1: to support the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation's spinal cord and epidural stimulation research. Search.
2: if you donate you'll automatically be entered into a raffle to win autographs and comics to find out more information about our event head over to dctvpodcast.com slash
1: fundraiser to find out how to donate and where to listen
0: All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, I have with me tonight Bob Fisher. Hello. And uh, like I mentioned in the opening, uh, this is going to be the first episode of my coverage of the Adventures of Superman television series starring George Reeves running from, I guess we'll say 1952. That's when this show started airing until 1958. And in a strange way, even though we're 28 or so years apart, we both kind of grew up with this show.
2: Well, that's the fun thing about this show is it's basically been in syndication, in reruns, uh, since the 60s. After it went off the air in 58, after George killed himself, it literally came back early 60s. It was off the air for three or four years, but then in the early 60s, it came back on, so and since that time it's been on somewhere and so you're right i've i've run into people obviously my generation grew up with it in first run but i've uh, there's michael bailey's generation the right. people in their in their 40s that have uh, that grew up with it people in their 30s and 20s and i have a little niece and nephews that are three four five years old are now watching it on me tv and of course they've got the dvds they can pop them in it gee i wonder where they got the dvds (laughs) but uh yeah so it's always been there so it's not unusual even for young people to to know who george reeves is so we'll start with that what is your origin story with this show well since i was born in 1952 (laughs) I was about seven months old, eight months old when this sucker hit for the first time. But I literally, at the age of three and four in 1956, was watching it in first run. Now, we had a black and white TV in those days, so I didn't actually see them in color until the 70s. And it's kind of a funny story, actually. As a little kid growing up in the 50s, Again, watching them in first run, and then as a you know, as a young boy watching them in the '60s, early '60s. But in the early '70s, I went to one of my—I uh, don't know if you could actually call it a comic book convention—but here at the Executive Motor Lodge in Richmond, Virginia, in 1970. Two maybe, 71, 72. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really a comic convention, but a bunch of comic people locally and surrounding areas got together and, and several stores and a few other people and people could set up a $10 booth or whatever. But the guest at that little convention, which I didn't even know they were going to have a guest, which kind of blew me away, was Noel Neal, who played Lois Lane from season two on, from seasons two, three, four, five, and six, and of course was the first Lois Lane in the Atom Man series, and the, and the series you, guys, you just finished doing. So when she came out on stage for the first time, now, in 72, I was about 20 years old, and I had never seen the show in color or seen color stills of it. And when she walked out with that fiery orange hair, my first thought was, oh, she's dyed her hair since, you know, leaving the show. So I went up after she gave her a little talk and I went to talk to her and I said, I love your hair. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about, you know, she's such a sweet lady. And, and I asked if she dyed it after she left the show or was she doing another part or something. And she said, no, my hair's always been shades of red. And I, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) So, yeah, my Lois Lane early on had red hair, so I thought that was pretty funny. But getting to meet Noel Neal was was pretty cool. But anyway, that's my origin, literally as a little kid watching these shows in first run on Tuesday night sitting in the red chair or sitting down in front of our little black-and-white TV with my father saying, Move your head. <laughs> so, so, but, yeah, it was, it was really great. That was my origin. It was the first place I knew that Superman existed. And then in the summer of 1956 is when I read my first Superman comic for the first time. My older cousin, we were in Manio, North Carolina, visiting him that summer of '56. And I said, "Ooh, it's time for Superman. And he said, well, Superman doesn't come on. And they only had one TV station in Man- Manio, and it didn't come on there. So, but he said, oh, you like Superman? And he took me out to the barn. And in my grandfather's barn was a trunk. Like a shipping trunk, but, you know, a trunk that you would have, a black trunk with straps and buckles and stuff all over it. Right. And he opened that trunk, and in it were several dozen Golden Age comic books, of which one on top was Superman number 43 from 1950-something or other. I forget the exact date. It might have even been in the mid-40s. But that was my first Superman comic book. Was that and, the first time you saw Superman in color? Absolutely. Had no idea that he was red and blue other than what they had said on TV. They had always said, oh, this blue streak or this guy with the red cape, right. but had never seen it in color. And then when that comic book sitting right on front and my cousin, who was two or three years older than me, gave me that comic, I took it in the house and said, mom, 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 read, read it to me. And my mother read it. And that's where I learned how to read was in that comic book. And those comics, the other comics that were in there, there were action comics, detective comics, Batman, all-star comics. I knew of the Justice Society long before i knew the justice league so yeah it was it's kind of weird being this old but being right there when it you know kind of all started not superman of course but the superman tv show yeah uh i just don't remember a time really i remember those shows but you know if you watch the i love lucy show where george reeves makes an appearance superman to to show up at little ricky's birthday party yeah
0: i've seen that one i'm gonna do that one when, when i get to then in the chrono- in the timeline
2: Oh, beautiful. Well, think about me when you do it, because that little costume that little Ricky is wearing, right. that was my costume. I had that exact Superman costume. And I wore it all the time. And I had a gray suit that I hated that my mother made me wear for Easter and church and all the you know fancy times. And it was really, really stiff, hard wool. I right. hated that little suit. So I constantly... Uh, nobody knows this, but if you see little pictures of me, I might try to find one and put one up sometime. There's a little picture of me and my sister going to see Santa Claus, and I guess I'm probably four, five, six right. years old tops. The little gray suit on. Well, I know that under that suit, <laughs> I'm wearing a Superman right. uh, costume. Yeah. So, But that's it. Yeah, I've been there forever. I think I first noticed uh,
0: that I Love Lucy special. I don't know if you remember the uh, SNL... Uh, 50th anniversary of Superman special that they did way back when, in 1988. Oh, yeah. That Absolutely. was when I, you know, it was kind of a clip show, and that's when I saw it for the first time, the scene with him up on the ledge with Lucy. Did you
1: see me
2: to cry? That's
1: <laughs> me, huh? Of all the that you've done in the 15 years, I've been married! You mean to say that you've been married to her for 15 years? Yeah, 15 years! And they call me Superman!
2: It's a great scene and uh, love that costume. Once he got into the, the the fifth and sixth season, those later seasons, they started to get the color right and the fit. It, other than I think it shrunk a little, uh, obviously the sleeves are a little short, but that suit looks good on him. It's not as much padding. It fits tight. He just looks like Superman right. in those later seasons. You, even mentioned, though you
0: mentioned the suit's fit. I noticed it while watching Moleman in preparation for next week's episode. Right. They hadn't quite gotten the suit yet. It was a little, little baggy on
2: them. Yeah, a little baggy. A little bit. You know, and that'll be something I have notes for when we get into that. Right.
0: Well, like, like I said about this show, you know, it went off the air 22 years before I was born, so saying I grew up <laughs> with it too is kind of weird, but I, I kind of did. You know, obviously, I was always a Superman fan as long as I was alive. You know, like I said, I initially grew up with the three Christopher Reeve movies I had at the time. hmm. I think I, around the time of 1988, the time of the 50th anniversary, is when the, one of the local stations near me, I grew up in Brooklyn, ah. so WWOR, it's a station out of uh, Secaucus, New Jersey, which is, if you don't know your, your New, York, New Jersey geography, it's right across the river from Manhattan. And on Saturdays, they would, for an hour, they would air the show on, on like an hour block, so you'd get two mm-hmm. episodes. That's when I first started seeing it. And then every Thanksgiving, that same station would have what would call Superman festivals, Mm. Which were hosted by Jack Larson.
2: Oh, I've heard about those and I've seen some of the clips from uh Jack Larson talking about them, but I've never seen the whole thing. I'd like to see I don't necessarily need to see the shows, but I'd love to see all of his intros and, and his talks. I haven't seen all of those. I'm sure they're around somewhere.
0: They're on YouTube. You can find them on YouTube if you search for Superman Festival or something. But you you can find them. I think they did it for four years. Mm. So anyway the Every year for Thanksgiving, we used, my family, my, me, my father, my mother, my sister, we'd go down to Hershey, Pennsylvania for, th- for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So I was, the first year I heard about this, I was bummed that I wouldn't be home to see it. <laughs> so I wanted to set the program on the VCR. But at that time, we had this giant VCR. You needed a mechanical engineering degree <laughs> right. to, set, to set the recording on this thing. So, right. so my, my mother called my uncle, and he recorded it for me. So I had that one. That one had, so I had a tape of that one for the longest time. It had Panic in the Sky, mm. Semi-Private Eye, mm-hmm. I can't believe I remember this lineup, and Around the World with Superman. Mm. Then, it went, then it went the color episodes. It had Through the Time Barrier, <laughs> Great Caesar's Ghost, The Deadly Rock, and The Perils of Superman.
2: Mm. Good shows. They, they they was, picked,
0: that, was, that was a good lineup. They picked good episodes. They did. And, you know, Jack Larson's bumpers that he did were great. You know, little uh, snippets that he would tell his stories about the show. And uh, you could tell, and we'll talk more about Jack later.
2: Yeah, there are some great videos on YouTube with him.
0: You could tell that he looks back on it fondly. I don't know how he felt about it yeah. at the time. Yeah. But he looks back on it very, fo- very fondly. I, so I had initially recorded the, I had the first and the fourth. I don't know whatever happened to two and three. They were, mm-hmm. they, they were aired, but I didn't record them for some reason. Right. I think by the fourth one, I had had a VCR in my bedroom at the time, and it was a little bit easier to deal with. Mm. So I was able to set it myself.
2: Right. And, well, I remember, I remember here in – I guess it was 1979 or 1980 when cable TV first hit Richmond. And we had cable and Nick at night, or was it Nickelodeon? I think it was right. Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon did, they started airing it. And before they were going to do a weekly or a daily airing of it, whatever, they did uh, a weekend marathon where they showed all 104 episodes in order, uncut. And I had beta in those days and uh, because I love the quality, you could do high speed beta and get just incredible quality. But I literally didn't get much sleep that weekend because there was no way prior to that time to actually have recordings of these things. I had recorded, I had used an eight millimeter film camera to film a couple of episodes or a few minutes of a few episodes uh, without sound just to You know, say, "Hey, look what I've got!" But in 1980, after that aired for the first time, I had all 104 episodes, and I thought, "Wow, now this is the best it'll ever be. This is so cool that I have all the episodes, even on you know tape that you had to fast forward and spend forever to find an episode to get to it or whatever." But I had them; they were mine for the first time ever, and uh, now, obviously, having them at (laughs) on the the gorgeous DVDs, that it's you know, we live in good times. We do. We live in good times.
0: Cable came to Brooklyn, or at least came to our house. It might have been in Brooklyn before that. <laughs> but it mm. came to us probably around 1989, 1990. My memories of specifics are a little hazy, but that was when I discovered it was on Nick at Night. Mm. So
1: mm-hmm. they, they were
0: showing it then. That's when I also you know, kind of got an appreciation, an appreciation for some other 60s shows. Like back then I watched a lot of Get Smart and F Troop as well.
2: Right. Oh, I loved Nick at Night when it first started because they were hitting me right in my little childhood with some of the black and white 50s show. uh, uh, My Private Secretary and and just with Ann Southern and just so many, many good shows. One of them, Mr. Ed, who just found out today, by the way, as we record this, Alan Young, Wilbur, died today at 90 some years old, who played uh, not only who played Wilbur on Mr. Ed, but was Scrooge McDuck. Did the voices for Scrooge McDuck and so many other things that you would know, and you go, What? Really? Him?
0: A note to the future people, we're recording this on May 20th.
2: Oh, there you go. So, <laughs> yes, Alan Young died today on May 20th. So, another sad day. 2016. Wow. Yeah. Wow.
0: What are some of your favorite episodes?
2: Well,. Uh, You know, it's funny you mention that because I have been, as I just mentioned a little bit earlier with my own show, the Superman Forever radio podcast, been trying to figure out how am I going to talk about this show on my show? And I've been doing it for over two years now, two and a half years, and I haven't figured, still haven't figured out a way to talk about this show. So I think what I'm going to do later this summer, I'm going to do a two-part, kind of a two-part deal episode part one will be my top 10 favorite black and white episodes and part two will then be my favorite or top 10 favorite color episodes now i did break them up that way even though and we'll just talk about this the show in general here for a second the the first season was shot in 1951 right and it was done. The, the production company, the producers, had the idea for a TV show. They wanted to bring Superman to television, and in order to promote it and see if the idea would fly, similar to them doing pilots nowadays, the production crew, the producers, the directors, the people from the time, Lee Sholem and, and Tommy Carr and Whitney Ellsworth and all those guys back then, some, the same guys that were doing many of the comic books, Decided to do a movie first to see if it would fly. Now, we say movie. If you say movie today, you're thinking two hours right, or or more. In those days, you would it qualified as a movie if it was over 60 minutes. It could right. be a feature-length movie if it was over 60 minutes. And uh, this one is. And so they did a movie, and it was theatrically released. It wasn't put on television. It was released in movie theaters and did quite well. Which gave them the emphasis, the whatever, the power, the the good vibes to right. say, Okay, people wanna see Superman. They liked this. Let's do the show. They shot the first twenty six black well, twenty four black and white right. episodes. So they didn't cut this one into two parts for the unknown people at the end of the first season. Unfortunately, they couldn't get it sponsored. So it sat on the shelf literally for two years. Then Kellogg's picked it up and said, yeah, we got it. We'll do it. Kellogg's sponsored it. They put the show that they had shot two years earlier, these 24 plus the two part episode of the moment on late 52, early 53. I'm not sure exactly in different parts of the country. Some aired late 52, early 53. For others. And it was a huge hit. And so they called everybody back and said, okay, we got a hit. We need to shoot more shows. They stayed in black and white for the second season, but the production crew changed. And that's why you will see a major difference in attitude. Well, let me put it this way. There is a major difference in attitude between the first and third season, which is in color. Right. I kind of look at the second black and white season. It's kind kind of a a bridge. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a bridge between the very serious crime, drama, noir period pieces of the first season to what in the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth season would become much lighter, more geared for children, much more, you know, lighter topics overall. That's not to say there weren't some good ones. You mentioned four or five really good color episodes there just a few minutes ago. But... So I decided on my own show that that's how I'm going to split them. Even though the second season is in black and white and it's closer in attitude to the color episodes, it breaks down very nicely for another reason. In the first two seasons, there were 26 episodes each, which gave you 52. The second or the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth season, each only had 13 episodes, which gave you for the four seasons the same as the first two, number-wise. So that's why for my own show, I'm going to break it down into my favorite black and white, because while the first season is overall my favorite, and I could watch almost any of the first season shows over and over again, right. and I know them pretty much You know dialogue. I know it all. I know so much information about the first season, but I don't want to cut it off because actually I think my at least one of my top three favorite episodes of all time is in the second season in the black and white, which is Panic in the Sky. I just think that is there's so much good about Panic in the Sky. I, I, I sometimes have problems with my modern friends who are not comic book or into the period stuff. Even though I have friends in their 30s and 40s, and I've said, hey, this is a great episode, blah, blah, they really can't get past the costume that doesn't quite fit properly, right. the, the string holding the asteroid up. You know, they, they, they can't get past the 1952 special effects and the, the way it was shot. Right. And that's too bad it because, is. particularly when you're in the first season, and, and I know this was a long way to answer right. the question of, gee, Bob, what's your favorite episode? You know,
0: one thing I, know, I noticed the you know, last time I, w- I watched the series, and it's been years now since uh, I probably watched, went through it when I got it in 2006. But some of the episodes work better because they're in black and white. Like, oh, absolutely. Like the, ha- like the Haunted Lighthouse. Two that come to mind are The Haunted Lighthouse and I believe it's Night of
2: Terror. Night of Terror is terrific.
0: If, if that was in color, group. I don't know if that would have worked as well.
2: I'm not sure any of the first season episodes would have worked as well in color as they do in black and white. Because it just adds such a mood. Everything about those first season episodes, uh, so it's really hard for me to say, of that first season, to only pick two or three. Uh, I could, I mean, I would go, Evil 3 comes off the top of my head as just being one of the creepiest, scariest, you know, I put it right up there with Psycho, it had the same effect on me as a kid, watching the Evil 3, as Psycho did. The last scene in Psycho... And that's without
0: even considering two grown men are on vacation together. Exactly! One is in his 60s, the other one's a teenager.
2: Exactly. And that the opening scenes of that, I could talk about just that particular episode for an hour. It is so good. Well, we'll have Evil our 3. chance. Good. <laughs> but, uh, but, so I'll just drop that and we'll move on then in right. Evil 3. But in that first season, you've got so many Absolutely brilliant episodes. And the chemistry between George Reeves and Phyllis Coates is, oh, my God, it's just so good. They are gorgeous people, for one, the both of them in these early seasons. The thing we're going to talk about next week, uh, next time, Mole Men, they're just absolutely gorgeous. No, George Reeves, he looks great in the middle of that scene where he's, since you've proven you can't handle these guns, I'm going to take them from you. Oh, and he that. just walks through the crowd. <laughs> just... Knocking the crap out of them and taking all their guns from them—it's uh, it's just terrific. And Phyllis Coates is just absolutely beautiful, and she's brilliant, and she's fast. And in Night of Terror, you mentioned Night of Terror. Right. There's a fight scene early on when the bad guy and Lois is just giving him all kinds of crap, hitting him with her pocket. She going.
0: was she was not afraid to mix it mix it up.
2: Not at all. And they didn't and, let Noel
0: Neal do any of that, really.
2: No, look, Noel. By the time they got to Noel. Uh, particularly the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth season, most of the serious violence of the first season was gone. You didn't see anybody take Noel and throw her across a room like you did see Phyllis. Phyllis took some huge falls. And in that movie... Noel did during the serials. uh, During the serial, exactly. You know, she could have done that. People say that sometimes. They will say that they like Phyllis because she was more serious than Noel. And I have to do the same that you just did. Point them to the serial.
0: Noel did that role in the serial. Yes, she did. But she, she, was, was she was the philosopher. Especially host. in the second one. She yeah. She was able to temper that with her flirty relationship with both Clark and Superman.
2: Exactly. And people who, you know, uh, say that the Lois in the TV show that Knowles Lois was not, you know, as rough and tumble or as go-getter or whatever, well... Yes, she was. Yes, she was. And uh, But they were directing them differently. Once the, the new production staff and the new directors came in, they really just didn't want that Lois getting knocked around. No. And, you know, I can understand. I mean, they were going for a different crowd. Right. Well, because now- literally, we were talking for the Evil 3 again, and that scene scared the bejeebies out of me as a little kid. Right. It was incredible. But overall, the series, that was the beautiful thing about this series, is that in the first season particularly the first season it is a total black and white crime noir drama it was listed as a crime adventure show in tv guide it was not listed as a kids superhero action show and in most of those shows you have a take no prisoner's top notch uh clark kent and a I superman love that, clark kent. Well, he's my favorite. He's just, he's absolutely my favorite. I
0: rediscovered that love, my love for that Clark Kent the other night, watching, watching him all men.
2: Yes. Yeah. Because he's just so good. I mean, he's, he's not, you know, and when I say this, you know, sometimes I feel like I have to almost say now, don't take me wrong. I'm not cutting down anybody else that has ever played Superman or Clark. I like them all to one degree or another,
0: but they're all different,
2: but they're all different. My favorite, though, Clark Kent, hands down, is George Reeves. He is totally believable to me as both Clark Kent and Superman. They are two. He plays them. Like two entire different people. So many people I've heard say, oh, no, he's the same. He just takes it. No, just because he doesn't comb his hair differently. He does do so many different. He's much more formal as Superman. It's Miss Lane. It's uh, Mr. White. He doesn't, you know, but as Clark, he's more familiar with them. I believe Superman called
0: Lois, Lois once and it was in a dream sequence.
2: It was on a dream sequence in the wedding of of Superman. And and he only
0: called her Lois because she asked him to. Now, what was it you were going to ask me? I'm not very good with words, Miss Lane.
2: Lois. Lois. But, excuse me. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, that's that's the brilliant part of, I think, of that early, you know, season. And, you know, just getting back to the Lois bit a little bit, is that Lois, uh, Noel Neal could have played the Phyllis Coates part. And yeah. we did see it, like you mentioned, in the serials, the little more rough-and-tumble, take-no-prisoners you know, character. They just made changes. And that's the biggest change in the series, right. is from season one, and like I usually say, to season three is the drastic change. Right. When it gets to color, and I think the first color episode was through the time barrier. Yeah, it was. And right off the bat, that season, you're seeing a kind of silly Silver Age Superman story with time travel.
0: Nutty Professors.
2: Nutty Professor, which my favorite, well, I can't say favorite. I loved all the Nutty Professors. I loved all of them. But, professor uh,
0: Pepperwinkle stands out.
2: Yes, he does. But Sterling. Um, Holloway. Uh, Holloway. Winnie the you. Pooh. Winnie the Pooh, exactly. And, which I would love to have been a little side note. Uh, from an old guy. Speaking of Winnie the Pooh, I would love to have been in that recording studio if they all, any of them did it together because you had Sterling Holloway and Paul Winchell. And you may not know who Paul Winchell is, but when I was a kid, he was it. It was Paul Winchell and Jerry Mahoney with Knucklehead Smith. He was a ventriloquist and his dummies were Jerry Mahoney and Knucklehead Smith. But he also did the voice of Tigger, the voice, I mean, I could go on. He he did hundreds of of voices that uh, people your generation would know instantly that would have no idea who Jerry Mahoney or Knucklehead Smith are. But I would love to have been in that studio to see Sterling Holloway and Paul Winchell doing little things together as uh, all the characters both of them did. But Sterling Holloway, uh, he is so good. So, so very, very good. So the color episodes are just a little more fun, a little more lighthearted. More of the, what some people call the silly Silver Age type stories. But listen, the perils of Superman. I mean, there were so many really, really good episodes, both in color and in black and white. And I believe
0: it was someone, it might have even been you, on that, back to the bins when you guys did a few years ago, Mm -hmm. said season one was the Golden Age. Season two started moving us into the Silver Age.
2: Yes, yes. Season one is more towards the end of the golden age, but he had his powers. He could fly. He wasn't just leaping buildings. He could see through stuff. He could melt stuff. He was strong, you know, but he was still, you know, I'm going to hit this bad guy in the face with my fist full force. Right. You know, I'm going to put this guy up against the wall in the color episodes. It was I'm going to act bored while the bullets bounce off of me and then I'll just hit you once and you'll fall down. Jimmy,
0: the kid comes to mind when he breaks out of the safe. Yes take out four guys with one punch yes yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. love that I love the uh towards the first season the end uh a couple of the end episodes the uh crime wave is just a great great episode I think for if I had
0: clips. to pick, if I had to pick one yeah that's it for me
2: Oh, I love Crime. Crime Wave. Just love it. And uh, there are so many other good things about that with the film and, and things they didn't right. expect us to see and be looking at here in 2016 on high-definition big-screen TV. So we see springboards and we see strings, and there's supposed to be a, a mystery of who the bad guy is. Right. So you keep him in the shadow. But on a big-screen TV, he's not in the shadow anymore. On a little 13-inch black-and-white TV, he was basically a silhouette. Right. But nowadays, we know everything, so we can see it all. But it doesn't take away from how great the episode was.
0: No, it doesn't. This is one of the few shows that doesn't, you know, at least from, even way back when, I always saw some of the effects. Like, you always knew whenever he flew, right. especially season three on, whenever he was flying to somewhere, he flew left to right. <laughs> right. Coming right. back, he flew, <laughs> no, going there, he flew right to left. Right. Coming back, he flew the other way and he always flew by the same buildings no matter where he was right jumped out the same window but you know that never took I always joke about it but that never took me out
2: yeah me neither and it's even funnier on some of the color episodes <clears throat> when you're say he's like flying and they do a close-up because they zoom in so you can see him from like shoulders up but as they're zooming in if he's going from right to left it looks good if he's going from left to right his s is backwards i know that so they just they just flipped the film around they yeah. didn't really you know that, reshoot that, it no yeah i know and that that kind of stuff
0: drives me nuts
2: well it would drive us so nuts. we couldn't we would not accept that today right I mean, if we looked at you know uh, any of the d c shows on TV now, if we see Supergirl flying on screen back to the the newsroom or whatever, right. and her s is backwards because right. they just flipped it, we wouldn't accept that today that's not even if they flipped it, they would have an animator in there going, "Oh, touch up the s we've got to have that s go backwards now
0: yeah i I know you picked up the DVD of the series recently I don't know if you've watched them yet, but i and i I've almost kept a count of this when I was doing Atom Man because that was the first time they ever flew him live the only time really
2: yes in the George Reeves shows
0: well you right but the, first, the only time that was the first time Kirk Allen Kirk Allen had some extreme close-ups of him flying in Atom Man
2: ah oh, ah oh, right, right, right
0: right he would always fl- he would always fly left to right no right to left
2: right right to left first. and
0: sometimes yes it was backwards other times it wasn't
2: right he's he flying you know, in the think... same
0: direction why can't they just use the shot that's right
2: <laughs> exactly well, I also I
0: accepted it in the George Reeves show because I know, okay, they just flipped it because he's going the other way.
2: Well, I haven't actually popped them in yet. It was weird because when uh, you're the one you were talking about, you know, that you were doing your series, I'd been listening to you talk about them. And I think, you know, I really need to look at these again. I haven't seen these in years. They're so underrated. Well, they really are. So I went to my uh, my DVDs and I just couldn't find it anywhere. Right. I just couldn't find it Anywhere. And I, I thought, well, maybe I'd let the kids have it. I, I don't know where it is. I just So I went on eBay. I found one for nine bucks that had both of them. Kirk you know, Allen sealed. is
0: the forgotten Superman.
2: The forgotten Superman. So many times. And unfortunately, I still see it every day on Facebook that George Reeves and Kirk Allen are the forgotten Superman. Both of them. I, I see it all the time on Facebook. Who's your favorite Superman? Christopher Reeve or Henry Cavill? Christopher Reeve or Dean Cain or Henry Cavill? Christopher as if Chris started it. Yeah. I love Chris. Chris was a great Superman. He wore the S honorably. He did, but he wasn't the first. No, he was not the first. No, no. And but you know what? Neither was George. Neither was George. Neither was George. And
0: there, and, were, there were differences, you know. You know, a lot of yeah, people, a lot of people look back at Kirk
2: Allen and uh, you know what? He didn't have a frame of reference. No, you know, he had pretty much. They were all making it up then. Right.
0: You know, They're I all, looked at the two of them. Kirk Allen, you know, he had a dancing background. Yes. He was very graceful. Yes. George seemed to exude sheer power.
2: Yes. Yeah, that's a a really good uh, good point. That's a really good way to describe the two of them. And you can tell it. In the serials, when you watch Kirk Allen, the way he takes off before the animation kicks in, the way he lands, the way he moves and jumps over and around things, it's definitely from, you're right, it's someone who is practiced in in moving himself like that. Uh, George was much more, let's bust through the wall, right. let's just jump up. They, nobody
0: busts through a wall like George
2: did. Nobody busts through those walls. And once he w- fell... Once the wire broke in the first season, and they decided, well, we're not going to do this anymore. We need to figure out uh, a different way for George to fly. That's when they came up with, I think, some very clever ways to do it, considering the technology of the right. time. One, the simple way: George jumping off of a ladder to land, you know, in frame or hitting a springboard to jump out of a window. And,
0: and that's uh, where the and that's where I always thought the power came from.
2: Yeah, because absolutely.
0: That, you would bounce out that window with, with such power, and he always landed hard. He never landed easy.
2: Never. And and, The sound effects uh, really sold it. And the fact that those scenes where he's jumping, when he's running towards you and then jumping over the camera, those are not easy moves. He has to get a lot of speed. He's got to jump pretty high, and then he has to roll off screen over top of the camera. So... He was a very athletic Superman, very powerful. And you can see that if you really want to spend the time watching. Yeah. And his landings were the things that he came up with coming in the window. Right. And it was his idea, well, let's put a bar. If we put a bar here, I can grab it and swing in. So they did, I think their flying takes, takeoffs and landings were much better than Dean Cain's Lois and Clark when they got lazy in their second Better through. than the cape Flutter? Oh God! I hated that cape flutter. I thought it was clever the first time. I thought, oh, wasn't that fun? But then when it happened every time from that point on, you think, what? You couldn't afford another twenty bucks to have him jump out a window or something right. on a mattress? Come on, guys! No, I, I really—that's unfortunate. You know, if we ever—if you ever get to Lois and Clark. <laughs> well, I—I I, I plan to. Well, I'll be glad to talk most of the first season with you. From then on, you're on your own. But, well, Lois and, well, Lois and Clark for me has. It's always kind of special
0: to me because I, I watched that one in first run. That, right, was, that right. was the first Superman show that I watched in first run. The,
2: well, see, well, that's a thrill, and I'm, I'm so glad that people get a chance to do that, that periodically, and that's what I'm loving about Supergirl. It's not Superman, but there is now a generation of young people who are seeing a live-action member of the super family on screen, on television, every week. And eventually, they'll be able to own it and pop it in, and they'll be watching it and saying, "Ooh, look! Uh, now that it has officially been renewed for its second season, and is, will be on the CW instead of CBS, good things are happening for Supergirl." Yeah. Well, as long as they can keep Kalista Flockhart,
0: I hope so. One more note: I want to talk. I want to mention about yeah. Lois and Clark before we move on. Mm-hmm. That actually, one of the reasons why that show was special to me is I kind of became friends with my best friend through that show. Mm. And I'll, I'll tell this story more in depth in a few years when I get to Lois and Clark. But <laughs> yeah. in, eighth, in eighth grade, like, we went on a field trip to see the Gettysburg. And I'm sitting in there, and there was one episode where it was called Man Steel Bars when Lex Luthor engineered a heat wave. And he, when Superman leaves, Lex Luthor tells a knock-knock joke. It's a very bad knock-knock joke. <laughs> I'm sitting there, and I hear somebody telling that knock-knock joke. So I turned around and meet my friend and I bonded over Lois and Clark. Isn't that cool? And at, and what we would do, after the show was over, because, you know, back then you had to watch it when it was on. hmm You know, if you missed it, you missed it.
2: You missed it, right.
0: So he would, one of us would call the other and we'd talk about the show for an hour.
2: Basically, we did a podcast. We just never you did recorded. a podcast <laughs> without recording it, yeah. Yeah. Well, you're lucky to have that, Yeah, you know, Uh, because in my generation, after about the age of 12 or 13, most of my friends had moved on to other stuff. They just weren't even reading comics anymore. Right. And, uh, you know, I moved on to other stuff, too. I mean, I was playing Little League. I was doing football and baseball. I was doing all the stuff that kids of the 50s and 60s did, skateboards, bikes, the whole bit. But when I, at 4.30, I'm home watching Superman. Right. And every week, I'm taking my allowance, and I'm going and finding Superman comic books. So it's something that's been with me literally. This is my 60th year of having Superman stuff going on in my life.
0: Yeah, I heard you and uh, I just listened actually today to uh, the 100th episode with you and J. David Weeder.
2: Oh, cool. That was a lot cool. of fun.
0: That was a lot of fun oh, to listen to.
2: I enjoyed that a lot. J. David Weeder, you can call him Dave, <laughs> is an awesome human being. But, yeah, I enjoyed that and, and getting to 100th episode and being able to talk about some of that stuff again. You know, it's a lot of fun. You know, that's one of the nice things that has happened with the Internet. And, and then adding on top of that, now me being a podcaster and being able to, you know, hook up with a bunch of other Superman guys. Yeah. It's, you know, it's very cool. So um, All
0: right, let's steer the ship back in.
2: I, I was going to say, let's get back to the, the adventures right. of Superman starring right. George Reeves right, so and we, Phyllis we, Coates. We, we talked
0: a bunch about George and everything we liked about him. We talked a little bit about Phyllis Coates and and Noel Neal, Mm -hmm. and I read somewhere that it was the two-year gap that kind of cost the series Phyllis Coates.
2: Well, it was. She had uh, committed to something else. She was committed to doing a movie. Phyllis Coates, I think she is surprising that she did not become bigger than she was because she's obviously talented. She's obviously drop-dead gorgeous. It just doesn't make sense, but she was a B in those days, what they called a B movie star. She did those You know, grade B movies, the movies that in in the olden times, if you went to see a major motion picture that was going to be your full two hours movie, a lot of times it would be a double feature. And prior to that would be a grade B movie and something a black and white usually or an hour or a lot of these movies would be for kids on Saturday mornings they'd line them up with westerns and so many other you know monster movies and all the other stuff well Phyllis went on and she was in uh, jungle movies she was she had her own like superhero movie right. where she was the star she was way ahead of the feminist curve she was getting paid similar to male actors of the time she was getting lead roles The movies would be saying the jungle, whatever, starring Phyllis Coates. So she was getting top billing. I don't know what happened and why she didn't go on to becoming, you know, uh, huge. I think she could have been huge. Um, And when you really look her up, you see that her that she was very busy back in those days. But that's exactly what happened and why they went back to Noel Neal is that when the series was picked up and they got sponsorship and they went back to shoot, Phyllis was busy. Right. And, in hindsight i don't think Phyllis would have liked doing the Noel Neal type Lois Lane because the show had changed quite a bit
0: i don't i don't I don't think she would have either
2: and uh I'm not sure that she wanted to do the you know the comic relief some of the silly Silver Age kind of stuff right. um whereas Noel and Jack got right into that yeah. i mean. They got right into that. And that's a beautiful thing. Another beautiful thing about the acting from the first season all the way through the end, whether you like the black and white noir ones or the the more humorous ones later, the actors themselves... Regardless of what they thought, whether George Reeves thought it was a monkey suit or he hated it or whether Jack... It didn't matter what they thought. What you see on screen are professional actors giving you a serious job, doing a serious job, treating the material seriously.
0: And I think a lot of that comes down to professional pride. Absolutely. We've we've all in our lives had jobs that we've not liked or hated for whatever reason. Right. But there's still... A part of you that even though this job might suck for me right now, I still want to do it the best that I can. Exactly. Because exactly. if I don't, people are going to know when that's going to affect me in the future.
2: Exactly. Well, there was a great, there's a great interview. If you really want to go down a rabbit hole during the last five, six, seven years of his life, Jack Larson was uh, appeared a lot. And answered a lot of these questions about what he was doing, how he felt. And I think the the interesting thing was, they shot the first season. His manager told him, because he wasn't going to do the first season. Right. He, was, uh, he was becoming a very successful New York theater actor. He was working. And that's what he really wanted to do, was right. become a New York theater actor. And his manager said, look, nobody's ever going to see this thing. Go do it. Take the money and, and run. Take the money and run. I and he said... The, they might have even said that to George Reeves, too. That's exactly right. And in fact, that's what I'm getting to, is that the similar thing happened to George Reeves, take the money and run, because you've already been in this big-time movie, and uh, with all these other... It, don't worry about it. Career's safe. Nobody will ever see this. Do it.
0: And he was in a little-known movie called Gone with the Wind.
2: Exactly. <laughs> uh, and from here to eternity later. So, I mean, he, w- he had a good possibility later. But first state of shooting... So the story goes in the way Jack Larson told it first day of shooting. And it was the first time where George and Jack were on scene together was something you even mentioned. One about the safe scene where Jimmy was locked in the safe as they're getting ready to shoot some of these other scenes. And it was during a break. Jack said he mentioned something to George about, did you think we would be doing, you know, a kid show or something like that. And George mentioned that. No, no. And, uh, but he said, I'm going to give it the best I got. Right. And Jack Larson said from that moment on, he said, I didn't care whether there was nobody watching or everybody was watching. He said, every scene, I'm going to do the best I could possibly be in that scene. And I think we see it in these first 26 episodes, and including moment, when you see these guys doing what they do. Uh, yeah, you can cut it down for this and that. But these guys were giving it their all and they treated the material seriously. And it shows.
0: And say what you will about whether he wanted to be there, even when George Reeves did appearances, he, even before that, he would take the way children saw him as Superman very seriously.
2: Absolutely. Like,
0: he wouldn't let, like, there's that bullet story that's passed into legend, where the kid was going to shoot him. Right. And... I even read somewhere that he wouldn't even smoke if he knew kids were around.
2: No, he didn't smoke in restaurants in public. He would only at late night night nightclubs when he was out with his girlfriends or whatever, would he, you know, drink or smoke. But if he was in a restaurant during the day where there were kids around or anywhere, he never let, you know, he he didn't, he didn't act like a, you know, uh, you know, he was Superman. And he, he kept that in mind. And I think all of them did. It was, And that's why it was so much fun when I actually met Noel Neal, because you could even see it then. The show had been off the air at that point in 72, what, 15 years right. or so? And there she was, and it was still just beautiful and, and willing to talk. And, and it was obvious that she enjoyed her time with it. And she, even in the early days, would, would uh, make fun of the question when people would say, how did you know that, Clark, how come you didn't know that, you know, Clark was Superman, and the glasses couldn't have fooled you. Why, did you. why didn't you know? And she jokingly just would always say, and she still does to this day, say, well, I wanted to keep my job. <laughs> <laughs> so she kind of breaks the fourth wall and says, well, no, I'm not going to, f- no, <laughs> I like my
0: job. Speaking of that, one of the things I'm going to keep track of, and I, I don't know if you listened to John M. Wilson's Golden Age Superman podcast. Yes, I did. Remember the Kill count? Yes, indeed. I'm going to keep a uh, secret identity, miss screw up count. Because <laughs> how. how He wasn't fooling anybody. I, I mean, how many times did he. Would one of them. The Moment. He, he's standing there, ask Clark. He says. I brought, that is, uh, Superman brought it to the hospital. Well,
1: then you know about Superman. If I don't, who should?
0: And yeah. Czar of the Underworld, too. He and Inspector Henderson are getting caught some kind of trap, Superman comes up and says,
1: How'd you, know, you do it? We were locked in here. One of the little tricks that Superman taught me. You know, Kent, sometimes I get a feeling you are Superman.
2: In the talkative okay. dummy. In the talkative dummy.
1: Well, there he goes again. Inspector, where does he disappear to all the time? I don't know. Maybe he runs into an alley, takes off his
0: glasses, and turns into Superman. See, I think they all knew. Everybody <laughs> knew. They just couldn't prove it.
2: Right. So it's just brilliant. Just brilliant. Love, love, love this series.
0: There's one thing I want to say about Noel Neal and George before we move on to some of the other characters. She had a, I thought she had better chemistry with Kirk Allen than she did with George. hmm You know, when you looked at Phyllis Coates and George Reeves as Lois and Clark, they were equals in every sense. Right, right. I never quite got that same feeling with Noel Neal and George Reeves. It always felt yeah. like he treated her as like a younger sister.
2: Well, yeah, and I think that was, that was done on purpose. Right. For that show there are several scenes where even if she looks at superman longingly or lovingly you know he'll get this weird look in his face and then run out the door or fly away or uh uh-oh you know that was something that they were going to touch on there were several times when a crook would uh, capture noel and say well we've got superman's girlfriend and she would come back i am not so they played with that right we know she wanted to be but they kept it more of the, again, for children, it was more important for her to discover whether he's Superman or not than to get him to marry her. But those were her two lines, and in her comic book, those were two frequent storylines, proving he Clark Kent is Superman or tricking him into marrying him. Right. And that is, and I'll
0: get to this deeper when I get to the episode, that's kind of the whole basis of Semi-Private Eye.
2: Oh, that is the premise of Semi-Private She
0: Semi- goes Private to Eye. Garrity to...
2: yeah. The follow Clark. Absolutely. But that is just a great Jack Larson episode. Everything he does in that thing and the, the stuff, talk about comic timing, the things he does in that physical humor, slapstick, uh, handcuffing himself. I mean, you, ha- I had to run that thing backwards three or four times the other day and pause it to see how did he do that? How many times did he practice getting ready to put the cuffs on the other guy? And doing it, they had to do that because it goes so quick, and it's just brilliant. There is so much about that episode. So many people will just write it off as, oh, it's another silly, silver Age, stupid Jimmy Olsen episode. Oh, it's brilliant. But he sells it. He sells it, absolutely. And there is a scene when Superman goes to the pool hall and just towers over the owner of that pool hall. Oh, my God, that's a power, Superman. Yeah. And then he crushes the balls in his hands. Oh, it's... There's so much good. There is.
0: It amazes me looking back that so many of my favorite things about certain characters come from this show and not stuff <laughs> that I saw first. Yeah. This show has hands down my favorite Jimmy
2: mm-hmm.
0: and my favorite Perry.
2: Yeah. Oh, John Hamilton. We're getting to Perry White now. It, it literally is like they said. We need a Perry White. We drew him in the comics. This is what he looks like. This is what he sounds like. Hey, John Hamilton. Perfect, absolutely perfect. And another professional, long-time working Hollywood actor. Anytime Hollywood said, you know, we need a private, uh, we need a detective, or we need a mayor, right. or we need a governor, or kind
0: of authority we, need a, figure.
2: we need an authority figure, a politician, or somebody in authority. Hey, who's available? Oh, John Hamilton. Go get John Hamilton. Yeah, it's an amazing. Look at the IMDB for him. Yeah, no, it's it's huge. Yeah. And a great, great actor. And people will give him crap because they will say that uh, he didn't take this his role too seriously here or didn't memorize his lines. And that's why they shot his scene so many times with him sitting at the desk where he's working on something and uh, acts like he's writing on something to give to them when it's actually script in front of him. It may be the script. I don't know whether it is or not. It's still perfect. You know, he you- is Perry White.
0: A few weeks ago, I watched the, from the Black Lot to the Inkwell, or whatever they call it on the, on the DVD. And I think it was, mm-hmm. what's that guy's name? The guy, Superman the serial author, Gary Grossman. Gary Grossman, yeah. yeah. He, he mentioned that, and they showed a clip, I don't remember which episode it was from, but every time Lois is talking, he's he, looking down. He's looking down. It's like, you know, I wish he never said that, because now that I've seen that, right. I, I can't unsee it.
2: Right, I understand. Yeah, I understand. But, you know but then I just go back in my little mind to to I think, mean, okay, fine, he did that sometimes. But then you bring in the opening, well, the whole scene of the evil three, which right. we're going to talk about later in the series. Right. But and you go, uh, there are no scripts sitting down in his lap right there. No, and that's a at, solid he, ten minute bit that he, he and he chatting about quite are doing. a bit,
0: running around the Daily Planet office. You know, All it's not the, like Pierre Watkins who never left his desk.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's not like Marlon Brando had an earpiece in right. his thing for somebody off-camera reading the lines and cue cards everywhere, because he just wanted his he, millions he, he, to yeah, say the words and go. John Hamilton doesn't deserve all that crap. No, he doesn't. Brilliant he, he, actor. He
0: was out and about the planet, yelling at everybody, and he knew his, he knew his lines. Once in a while, he wanted to read it off the page.
2: Yeah, Fine. so be it. And you know. Great Caesars Go. I mean, there's so many good episodes with John Hamilton. So many good episodes. Great Caesar's ghost. Do you have a favorite Great Caesar's ghost moment? Uh, I liked it in, in the episode Great Caesar's right. ghost, where he thinks he's seeing. Right. You know, he's just saying it all the time, and then at the very end, when it's Inspector oh. Henderson and all of them are there, and Perry just goes,
0: "Great Caesar's ghost." There was one. Yeah, I love. I don't remember. It was a black and white episode. I don't remember which episode it was, but he's sitting at his desk. He screams, "Great Caesar's ghost!" at the top of his lungs. He's raising his arms, and all this paper just go flying, <laughs> flying everywhere. Right.
2: Yeah, so good. I'm, so, I'm
0: gonna dig that. One. Figure out which episode that one that one's in.
2: Just do a little GIF. People are doing GIFs on uh, Facebook now. Just do a little GIF of him going, "Great, Jesus <clears throat> gone," throwing paper everywhere. Yeah, because that time it wasn't just him saying
0: the line; it was the papers in the arms. Right. Even behind the gruffness, I got the sense that that particular incarnation of Perry White cared. About, oh, absolutely uh, about his basically his three staff members.
2: Well, uh, yeah he cared about his paper he was a very caring and it was obvious and you know uh even with jim Olson. right and i go back to evil three again because that relationship uh is so perfect in that episode between perry white and jimmy olsen right. the two characters just shine i can't wait till we get to talk about that episode
0: and you look at that episode and and maybe this is later viewings of other things informing informing my opinion of this because if you remember the first two or three episodes of Lois and Clark, Perry would treat Jimmy as a gopher boy. Right. Until Jimmy finally said, enough is enough and refused. And then you see the the good for you kid when it's all over. (laughs) Right. I always got, even in the George Reeves series, I got the feeling that Perry was, saw something in Jimmy, but was trying to bring it out. Right. Because he was almost like a father figure to him. Absolutely. Well, he took him on vacation. Granted, he took him to a haunted hotel, but <laughs> because his feet hurt.
2: So much good.
0: There is so much good. And one thing I want to say about Jack without Jack's portrayal, I don't think we have Jimmy Olsen to this day.
2: Oh, we don't. We don't at all. We do not have the Jimmy Olsen that we know at all. Because. It was totally Jack Larson. He was a throwaway character. They used him in the radio show a lot of times as kind of a sidekick for Superman, but more expositionally. It was more like he would come running in breathless to tell Clark or Perry something so that Superman could go take care of it.
1: Mr. White, Who gave you permission to barge in here like a bull? Just got a flash. There's a dirigible flying over the airport with a guy hanging from a rope.
2: He would get into trouble with some of the kids or whatever on the radio show. But it was Jack Larson's portrayal of Jimmy Olsen that gave us the Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen comic book. There would not have been the comic. They say that point blank. Mort Weisinger, the guys say that point blank. There would not have been a Jimmy Olsen comic book had there not been Jack Larson on the TV show. And he had a comic years before Lois got hers. So, yeah, Jack Larson totally brought uh, Jimmy Olsen to life and gave him a comic book that lasted for over two decades, which then again, when DC got Jack Kirby to come over from uh, Marvel.
0: All all that fourth world stuff.
2: Oh, they gave him uh, Jimmy Olsen to play with and pretty much said, you know, go over there and have fun and do what you want and it was through the Jimmy Olsen comics that we got all of the terrific Fourth World right. stuff. So Jimmy don't Olsen cut Jimmy has, Olsen.
0: Has, Jimmy has literally been everything.
2: Yeah, everything. And I will defend Jimmy to my last dying breath.
0: No, and we and we should. We might have to, <laughs> we might have to defend him to Zack Snyder.
2: Well, yeah, Zack. <laughs>
0: I'm afraid. I'm afraid to watch that R-rated cut. Well,
2: I think in the R-rated cut, it's actually going to mention him.
0: Yeah, I don't want to see that. I can remain yep. in denial until I actually see it.
2: Well, that's it, unless they say it on screen. But I'm still going to say that the X-rated cut will be out of movie canon. It had to have been in theaters on the screen. Yeah. I don't take all this director's cut stuff as some coming back later and saying, "Well, this is what I meant." Well, you should have put that on the screen the first time. Please. Yeah. Let's take, I'll talk a little bit about uh, Inspector Henderson. He was an original character for the show, Robert I believe. Shane. Right. Yes. And then they brought him into the radio show. And then, um, in fact, it may have been the radio. I'm not sure which is first. He was on radio too. radio two. show
0: was the 40s. Uh,
2: but the radio show actually went all the way up into. Oh, did uh, Yeah, up into the 60s. So they had radio. These radio dramas, sci-fi and other things, right. went on for a very long time. But Robert Shane on the, on the adventures of Superman mm-hmm. as Inspector Henderson right. was just brilliant. It was a yeah. great, great great part to this show. And his personal history, this is something weird, about that time period, post-World War II, into the 50s, once the Nazis and the, those evil Japanese were defeated, certain Americans had to find some new bad guy. So communism came right. in. And there were actual people who were putting together lists of people whom they thought were members of the Communist Party. And people in Hollywood lost a lot. And they pointed a lot of them at the Jews for some reason, which just never made any sense to me. But bigotry never makes any sense to right. me anyway. Could, but n- but n- they, they wouldn't have
0: Jeff Cory exactly, played Luke exactly. Exactly. And got that's what we'll that. get into
2: when we start talking about that. Yeah. And but Robert Shane was on that list. He got put on the list suspected communist right. ties. And could not get work. So when you see him in other shows He was on this show because of George Reeves. George Reeves said, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, he's going to be on this thing. I don't care what they're saying. He's staying here when this whole thing hit. He and George were drinking buddies. Right. There are a few episodes, particularly in the color episodes, late season color episodes, where they both have little slits for eyes. You can barely see their eyes open. And you know they must have had a long lunch that day.
0: I felt like I saw him more during the color episodes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway, Bob Shane had a big problem with that, getting work. And some other people in the industry, particularly the producers and people involved in Superman, stood up for him. And when those people went on to produce and direct other TV shows, Hazel, many of the sitcoms of the day and cop shows of the late 50s, early 60s. If you see Robert Shane on those shows, it's because somebody spoke up for him and stood up for him and said, "Uh uh-uh. No, he's he's coming with us. Right. So and he worked. He was even in something uh, late in life, and I think they put him in shortly before his death. He was in one of the Superman shows right. or movies.
0: Yeah, no, and that's something you know. Talk about George Reeves. That's a very Superman thing
2: to do. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Many people have worn that S, but none of them better than George Reeves. Right. A great, great man. Jack Larson said that George Reeves made fun of the outfit once, and it was the first time they talked. He called it the monkey suit. And he said, and Jack Larson said, he never said another ill word about it ever for the rest of the series. And he would wear it behind the scenes. He directed episodes he was in. He would go right behind the camera, sit in the director's chair in full costume. Other actors would cut and say, let me get out of this thing first and do this and that. But George was there. Right. George was a professional. He knew what he had to do and a good human.
0: And, you know, he was probably just about on the next stage of his career. He might have been a great director.
2: Some, Oh, he would have been. I think he would have been. Yeah.
0: What did he do those last three? He did Perils.
2: He did Perils and All That Glitters. He he may have done three. I know those two. I'd have to double check to see if he did the last three. But I know he did the Perils of Superman and All That Glitters, which he's not even really in.
0: And I wonder if that was by design. I
2: don't know. Probably. Could be. Who knows? (laughs) You know, that was one of my least favorite episodes when I was a kid. But, you know, in hindsight and nostalgic reasons, now I just love them all. Even the bad ones. I I just love them all. Um,
0: Even though that wasn't intended to be the last episode.
2: Right. It
0: probably ends on the best line that it could have.
2: Golly, Mr. Kent, you'll never know how wonderful it is to be like Superman.
0: No, Jimmy, I I guess I never will. That's probably the best line they could have ended the series on.
2: Yeah, guess I never will. Yeah. And, you know. But we have... Pictures of George Reeves with scripts for the next season. Yeah. So they were planning. He was going to direct. He was going to produce some of the shows. No, so that's why it makes the suicide all more just crazy.
0: They would have had to re-ca- do some recasting anyway. Right. John John, ha- John Hamilton, Hamilton died around that time too.
2: Right. So they would have had to have cast a new Perry White, and do
0: you that know, would have do, been you, do. You know at all what they were planning to do?
2: Not. Not for Perry. No.
0: They were they were planning to bring back. At least one thing I read is they're going to bring back Pierre Watkin as Perry White's brother mm. or something like oh, that.
2: interesting. That might have worked. That might have worked. Uh, I just think it would have been really hard to replace any of those main four or five guys.
0: You couldn't. You know, no, you couldn't replace John Hamilton. You couldn't. They almost tried to replace George at one point. Guess who they asked? Kirk Allen. Kirk Allen. <laughs> like. Come on! Do they have no one else to go to other than people
2: who have done it before? <laughs> yeah. Well, that would have been jarring to go back to Kirk Allen after George Reeves. Well,
0: Kirk Allen said
2: no, right? Well, and George got the part, you know, not because somebody said let's look at him in another thing and thought he he just he auditioned with hundreds of other actors, Right. and you know he just blew him away. He, that that was the guy. So he had just he, terrific. He had the look. He had the look. Some actors don't. No. He didn't have to dye his hair in the first two seasons. No. You know, and
0: it struck me when I was watching Mole Men how young he looked. Right. You compare that to how he looked toward the end of the series. Yeah. There was some great that, going on there.
2: That seven or eight years made a excuse me, made a huge difference. Yeah. He was he was probably pushing forty when he filmed Superman and the Mole Men. Yeah, I'd have to look that up again, but he was in his thirties, definitely in I think his thirties. He 30s. died at
0: forty seven.
2: Mm. Even Kirk Allen
0: in the in the late thirties, yeah, he doesn't look it, but
2: yeah, something I found interesting. Speaking of age, the and I've I've drawn a blank on his name right now. But the second guy, Gerard, was it Gerard that played Superboy? The second oh, yeah, Superboy Gerard Christopher was older as Superboy than Chris Reeve or Dean Cain was when they played Superman.
0: He, I think on that same note, Gerard Christopher was older when he started playing Superboy. Than Dean Cain was when he finished playing Superman.
2: Yes. And they went to him, Gerard, for the Lois and Clark part. Yeah. And he had it until they found out he had already played Superboy. Did they not notice that? Apparently not. <laughs> and then they found out and said, oh, well, we can't do that. And I think, wow, it would have been a totally different yeah. show with him.
0: You know, like I said about before about Lois and Clark, I had very sentimental attachments to it. Right. But I never felt Dean Cain pulled it off.
2: No, I never did either. I never, other than the pilot, I loved the pilot. I thought the pilot was just great. And one of my favorite ever Superman scenes is actually him flying Lois into the newsroom at the end of that pilot. I thought, wow. And Cat Grant just kind of dropping whatever she had to the floor. It was just, that was a beautiful scene. Right. And I thought, oh, we're going to have a good show. And we had a good, almost a full season of a good show. Of
0: a good show. He was an actor in a Superman costume.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he just didn't – whereas Terry Hatcher, I thought, was a terrific oh, first season Lois Lane. She was. Uh, we've had some good Lois Lanes.
0: We have. We've definitely been blessed with good Lois Lanes.
2: Anything else about the uh, series as a whole? Do you want to go down? Do you remember when the first time you saw the series in color was? Uh, probably in 1980 when I had cable. Uh, no, I had a film. I, I bought a, an 8-millimeter copy of one of the color episodes, right. and I did see it. But that was late 70s. So it was late 70s before I actually ever saw it in color and was was kind of surprised. I had seen pictures by then, but I hadn't actually seen an episode. Right. The first episode that I saw in color, I can remember that now that you mention it, was the seer, the, seer, the guy who pretended to be, uh, that could read fortunes to steal the king's money.
0: Oh, I know what you mean.
2: Uh, to become king of the little... And the guy drove his, he told him to drive his car backwards down a thing. And that
0: The King and
2: I? wasn't The King and I. It was something, because King and I was another movie. But something about that. Well, there was seal, an episode
0: called The King and I.
2: There was? Because wasn't there, uh, there was an episode the where Jim, Jimmy Olsen. It was a Jimmy-centric episode. Centric, yeah. And I think that was the, something about The King. I'm going to have to look that up. But The King and I sounds too, that was big time novel and movie from Yul Brenner and stuff.
0: This was also the time before copyright laws.
2: Yeah. Mm. The King and I. I don't know if that was the name of the episode. I don't remember either. The Boy Who Would Be King or something. (laughs) The Sean Connery movie, The Man Who Would Be King.
0: Oh, King Uh, for a Day. King for a Day.
2: King King for a Day. There you go. And there was a 50s TV show called Queen for a Day. That was kind of like a game show. But yeah, so much. See, everything comes back to Superman. Copyright Michael Bailey. Yeah.
0: I even used, uh, which one did I use recently? The Expositional News Network I've used quite a bit, too.
2: <laughs> right,
0: right. At, or the in the serial, the expositional editor. Because if in the serial, they always had the beginning right after they wrapped up the cliffhanger. Always back at Perry's office. Always advancing the plot. Always reminding us what happened. All I've got for general talk, because
2: you know, and I think that's what I miss about the comics over the last five years in the New Fifty Two. We haven't seen that. The Lois, the Jimmy, the Clark, no, the we Perry. Are, right? We haven't seen something happening at the Daily Planet. Where, oops, we need to go take care of this, and then everybody goes and does their job. Right. We haven't seen that at all in the new Fifty Two, and I'm hoping they get back to that. But they got to decide what they're going to do about Clark. Right. You got to bring Clark back before you go to the Daily Planet. Yeah. So I think, and I think we'll that's see.
0: why I latched onto the post crisis comics so much because there was so much lot focus, Clark. there was so much focus on the uh, on Clark and on the supporting cast. Right. All right, so, Bob, before we wrap this one up, do you want to tell people where they can find you on the Internet?
2: Well, my main uh, show is the Superman Forever radio podcast, and that's at supermanforever.com or iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere else you get your pods. So my wife and I call them pods. We listen to a lot of pods. <laughs> and, but Superman Forever Radio, and hopefully going twice monthly here soon. And that's where you can find me talking about Superman. It's not an index show. I just make up what I want to talk about and then talk about it. So I have a lot of fun there. And I'm also doing, uh, speaking of Silver Age Superman, doing a monthly podcast with John M. Wilson. You mentioned earlier, of he had a Golden Age Superman podcast. He and I are doing a show called The Giant Superman Podcast. And we're looking at all those 25-cent, 80-page giants of uh, the Superman giants, so we started with number one, and we're doing um, basically half an issue per episode, because if you know those giants had eight to ten stories in them, so I thought at first we'd be able to do one episode per giant until we started talking, and the episodes get into the three and four hour range, so. <laughs> You start thinking, no, we better shorten this up. So we basically do half an annual, half a giant per episode, and I'm having a great time with that. John's a fun guy to podcast with, and I haven't read a lot of these old comics in a long time. So now going back and pulling out all my eighty page giants and reading them, it's just a blast. Just we're having so much fun doing that. If you're so that's to the, these
0: folks. Clear your schedule.
2: Yeah, they're they're really good. We're having a fun time with that. Um so that's that, those are the two Superman shows I do, the Superman Forever Radio podcast and Giant Superman podcast. And just because I didn't have enough to do, periodically I do a music podcast on the Two True Freaks network called Long Play. And a couple of guys get together over there and we just talk music. Usually what I do is invite somebody on to talk about their favorite album and then we talk about it track by track to see if it's a decent album or not. And we've done oh so many you know, and nothing is, nothing is off-limits. We've done heavy metal, we've done Beatles, we've done, you know, pop music with the Sundays. We've done a lot of albums over there, so that's kind of a non-comic book thing that I do. Their but, mega
0: Feed is going to be the end of me.
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> there's so much to listen to over there. Right. And I don't right. listen to everything, but can't. There's not enough time anywhere to listen to everything that I want to listen to. You know, I even have a hard time thinking, you know, sometimes I feel guilty. I'm sitting here last week listening to all these other Superman podcasts and making notes, thinking, you know, I should be doing my own show right now instead of (laughs) listening to all these guys. But that's what I do. So that's where you can find me, is if you just enter Superman forever in Google, you'll find me.
0: All right. All right, I'm going to. Take a quick break, play another promo, and I'm going to come back with some closing thoughts, folks. Hang around.
2: My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it from 1938 to the present day, from the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons. Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years, and if you'd like to know why, Join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com
0: Alright, welcome back folks. And I just want to... Catch up on some feedback before I wrap this show up for the week. The first bit of feedback I got was dated March 15th. It's an iTunes review from Douglas Meacham, and it was a four-star review. Douglas says, Hi Mike, I've enjoyed the first three episodes of this new podcast so much that you've inspired me to finally purchase the Fleischer cartoons on iTunes and watch along starting with episode one again. I hope to follow along through all the upcoming TV shows and films you'll cover. Thanks so much, and keep up the good work. Well, I would like to thank Douglas for his kind words and his encouragement. And you and I'm truly grateful. I mean, I, don't, I can't believe anybody would want to listen to me talk about some of this stuff once. More or less, watch the cartoons and then listen to me say the same thing again. My deepest thanks go out to Douglas for his kind words and his review. And I also got some feedback on Facebook, dated May 22nd, from Steve J. Rogers. And this is in response to some of my comments about actor reuse during uh, Superman the Serial. Specifically, Jack Ingram and Terry Frost, who played roles in both Superman the Serial and Adam Man vs. Superman as separate gangsters. And Steve says, to be fair, same actors playing different random characters is a thing that continues on TV shows to this day. A Seinfeld Rewatch podcast refers to this as a double dip. Also, an NYPD Blue website thanks the practice of bringing back actors actors for the creation of Andy Sipowitz as Dennis Franz worked on Stephen Baccio's Hill Street Blues once as a crooked cop who dies and then came back as a series regular as a character that would serve as a template for Franz Sipowicz. Sipowitz. And I would like to thank Steve for his feedback. And, um, he's right. And I have to bear in mind, even though I don't mind making a good nature joke about it, is that there was no binge-watching and repeat viewings back in 1948 and 1950, well, more so 1950, because that would be the second serial. So, I'm pretty sure most people back then really didn't realize the same actors playing different characters. I mean, the way I understand TV contracts is they were, these character actors would sign up with production companies and... They would be under contract as day players and would kind of just go where they were needed. And it's a practice we'll see again during The Adventures of Superman as as a couple actors are reused throughout the run of the show. For example, one particular actor comes to mind, Jack Eldridge, who played roles in four different episodes throughout the series. Again, it was a common practice. Back then, still is. So, thank you to Steve for pointing that out. So, you too can get in on the act if you want. You can send me feedback at gmail.com. or you can do what Douglas did by posting a review on iTunes. That helps other people find the show and make me more visible in the iTunes search directory. You can do what Steve did and leave a message on my Facebook page by liking my Facebook page by searching the Man of Screen podcast. And you can find me on Twitter at Man of Screencast. Next week, Bob will be back, and we're going to talk Superman and the Mole Men. Come on back. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the Amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all the opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests, and no one else. All music and sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended, or trademarks or copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network, and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.automatic.com and the is, you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.